Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Good morning and welcome. I hope that you are ready to sink into your peaceful heart and rev up your warrior spirit because I have a treat for you today. I have return guest Dan Millman on the show and we're going to be talking about his brand new memoir, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. And you are definitely in for a treat. There's so many beautiful, rich nuggets of wisdom And the threading of the beautiful human story and the strength of our spirit. Before we get into the discussion with Dan, I want to mention that my brand new book is out, Living, The Seven Blessings of Human Experience. And I am so excited. It is now 10 days old. And it is really my heart and soul. It truly expresses the many types of experiences that we encounter in life that are alternative types of blessings. We live in a world where challenge, obstacles, chaos, darkness are part of this dual sphere. What if there were a manual to help you really understand how to navigate those places? What if there were a seven-step ascending ladder of your soul and a deepening into the multidimensional inner being of you? Well, I hope you'll pick up my book and you'll enjoy reading it and the following two in the series of self-realization. You can find that on the top of the show page. Just click the banner and you'll hear and read all about it. Now, without further ado, I want to tell you about Dan Millman if you don't know about him. He is uh, a teacher. He is an athlete. He is someone that has conducted numerous presentations, seminars, and books that have described an approach to living with a peaceful heart and a warrior spirit. His latest book is a memoir, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. And in this new book, he shares reflections on the extraordinary experiences that shaped his evolution from youthful dreamer to spiritual teacher. And it's written to inspire you on your own quest, because like I said, We all face different things, but to understand that the spiritual journey is not only a very human one, but can also be a very practical one is truly important. And I think that that's what Dan is best at. He really does allow individuals to understand the practicality of spirituality and our life skills. In this book, he introduces us not only to his childhood story, but also to four specific mentors that impacted him on the way. And that is a a truly beautiful read as you move through it. He is, uh, teaches the peaceful warrior's way in the United States and around the world. He's the author of 18 books published in 29 languages. Dan is a former world champion athlete, Stanford University gymnastics coach, martial arts instructor, and Oberlin College professor. His book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a 2006 feature film, and he now lives with his wife and his children and his grandchildren in Brooklyn. Welcome, Dan, to 1111 Talk Radio once again. 
Thank you, Simran. Um, listen, with that introduction, I'm ready just to say, are there any questions? <laughs> mm, absolutely. I, I love the fact that you are sharing some of your childhood stories, and you very clearly state that it is our childhood experiences that actually bring us to living the life that we are here to live. And it's often through the stormy arenas of daily life that we uncover uh, the power, the presence, the peaceful heart, and the warrior spirit that we have. Could you share one of your impactful childhood stories with us? Well, I'd be happy to do so. And before I do, I want to provide a context by saying that I never presumed uh, that legions of people want to pick up my book just to read about this Dan Millman character who they may or may not have even heard of. But really, as you've pointed out, to, uh, the, the, the theme and substance of the book is the spiritual quest. And I believe we're all on a spiritual quest, whether or not we use those specific words, whether it's conscious or not, because everyone I know is seeking a sense of fulfillment connection, meaning, purpose, sometimes questioning, what am I here for? What is the big picture of life? So what I sought out to do, of course, as you read in the book, is to provide maybe a trail of breadcrumbs through my experiences, which were unique in my own case. Um, It touches upon and helps illuminate the universal quest, our common quest for meaning, purpose, happiness, and so on. And it, yeah, of course, it did begin the foundational elements of my life and all our lives. Um, whether we lived a, a comfortable, supportive, uh, uh, you know, family life, or whether we had difficulties, that can also help develop us and strengthen us. Um, so, one incident from my childhood that I think <laughs> may stand out: uh, I I had a, a, a mentor early on, a, a role model. I was about uh, six years old, and, and he was nine years old, Steve Yusa, a young Japanese uh, fellow. Um, and I used to follow Steve and his friends around the neighborhood, um, trying to do what they did. And one day on the weekend, when the construction workers were gone, they found a house under construction. And of course, we all love to explore those type of things and climb up uh, through the rafters. And we, we found our way to the roof of this house. And it was about 20, 25 feet, a uh, two-story house off the ground, and there was a big sand pile down below, about 20 feet below, and Steve, of course, leaped off the roof, sunk up into his knees in the sand pile, and then his friends followed, and they said, come on, Danny, you know, uh, it's your turn, and I so much wanted to do it. How many of us have had that experience? There's something we want to do, but we're afraid, and I was really afraid. I looked down, I backed up. I went forward to the edge. I backed up. And finally, Steve yelled something that uh, carried me through decades, really. He yelled, Danny, just stop thinking about it and jump. And I realized I could do that. I just didn't think about it, stood on the edge, bent my knees, and leaped. And that moment of action, um, and of course, I soared and we did it for an hour afterward, climbing up and jumping off. It was a wonderful moment of ascension. and a lesson and a metaphor uh, that carried me through the years into gymnastics um, and martial arts and other activities that I undertook. And that that practice, that that I guess body memory, and particularly after you went to gymnastics, 
it kind of helps you to continue that way of trusting the body, of allowing the mind to get out of the way in those cases, and really following uh, something that was larger than perhaps the human being was, but really helping you to tap into something much greater. And, and that specifically occurred when you became, went into gymnastics and, and started that, that journey. Yes. Um, and and it, in fact, it was the beginning of my, my spiritual quest, my spiritual training, um, because it was based on action. Uh, and it, it kept my teaching even today grounded into practical outcomes rather than abstract philosophies and ideas. And there are elegant ideas out there, but I always want to ask, what, what can I do with that? Um, we have enough to think about already. <laughs> so it, it did begin that sense of the warrior spirit uh, of, of facing fears. You know, it reminds me of a, a wonderful quote by a boxing coach named Cus D'Amato. He said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. And so that was another idea that was a seminal idea in my life and in all our lives. Um, we all have anxieties and nervousness about the state of the world and things in, in our surroundings. Um, but we still need to function in everyday life and roll up our sleeves. And in fact, maybe I could offer this definition because I use the term peaceful warrior and peaceful heart warrior spirit. Again, I view everyone as a peaceful warrior in training. Everyone. And you, what I mean by, yeah, you, you were going to say? I was going to say, if you could elaborate on warrior, because I think people take that word in many different ways. And particularly now at a time where there is increased angst, uh, there is increased rage in the world, fear in the world. For those individuals that are wanting to ground more deeply into their own inner authority and a spiritual balancing what does warrior mean in that sense? Yes. Um, and what I mean by that, the, the term, you know, there have been many warriors. We're familiar with the archetype. It's one of the Jungian archetypes, the warrior. Um, we're familiar with that idea, and it, it's associated with people who fight, who go to battle. Um, and there are many warriors today uh, uh, in, in military and, and police and, and, and elsewhere um, and those of us who value peace tend to reject that, and even that part of ourselves, um, and put it aside and say, I'm only peaceful, I'm kind. Um, and, and yet it's a part of human experience. And what I mean by warrior, um, well, let, let me get to the peaceful heart first, then I'll touch on the warrior, because they're both terms that are endemic and balanced in, in what I teach. Now, we all can relate to the idea of we're all striving to live with a peaceful heart. A sense of equanimity and serenity um, in the midst of the chaos and, and the change of everyday life and the news. And, and so we can relate to that idea, striving for a peaceful heart. But the warrior spirit is not about fighting. See, the ancient, the image of warrior is someone who goes to war. But um, it's not about fighting except perhaps with the inner demons of insecurity, fear, self-doubt, anxiety, and so on. There's a kind of... Uh, um, higher battle going on in each of us at times. Um, but really, it's more about rolling up our sleeves and marching into everyday life, standing up tall inside of ourselves. And every man and woman that I have seen has that within them. Uh, and it's not about aggressiveness. It's not about passivity. It's about assertiveness. 
and owning our space in life um, and, and stepping boldly when we're not necessarily feeling confident or uh, full of courage. Um, as that quote I cited before indicates, it's how we respond to our circumstances. So that idea of the balance of peaceful heart and warrior spirit um, represents a complete human being. So that's what I mean by the term warrior, because there are many warriors today, but not all of them have a peaceful heart. And they're peacemakers, people who are nourishing, kind, um, supportive, but not all of them have a warrior spirit. Look at people like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King the, Jr. These, these are people who represent the peaceful heart and the warrior spirit. Gandhi even said we can harness anger to change our world. So he wasn't against having feelings of anger. Um, we all have those sometimes. Uh, all feelings pass through us like the weather. And we can, but it's, the question becomes, how will we behave? What will we bring into our everyday life? So that's a, a kind of a longish uh, uh, commentary on the warrior idea. And I appreciate that. That brings a beautiful balance to that because I know that I myself have struggled between that peaceful place and that warrior place. Uh, and so often, particularly people that have a spiritual leaning, to be able to spark that warrior side of us without the need to fight can, be, um, can become an inner struggle. You talked about how gymnastics and jumping into that pile of sand, it helped you get out of your mind and into your body and enjoy the experience. But I think one of the things that most people struggle with is that constant busy mind. And I know that at a certain point when you were coaching a team, you even got caught up more in the mind and that busyness and it led you into meditation. Can you talk a little bit about the peaceful heart warrior spirit walk towards calming that active place in the head so that you can sink into the heart to find those states of peace? Yes, of course. Um, as you know, the four mentors that we can get into, if, if you like, uh, a few minutes, um, had, each had a radically different approach to uh, spiritual teachings, to life's bigger picture, how to live wisely and well, what is the good life. Um, radically different. But it, it finished with, and I called them, by the way, the professor, the guru, the warrior priest, and the sage. And it wasn't until I met the sage that I really started understanding um, that it's not about feeling peaceful. In fact, I once asked him, isn't the optimal mind a peaceful mind? He said, I wouldn't think so. He said, if your house is on fire, perhaps a peaceful mind may not be quite as useful. Um, you might want to have an active alert mind, a functional mind. So he said, the ideal mind is a flexible mind, adapting to circumstances. So it's not about always feeling peaceful or feeling happy or feeling confident or feeling courageous or kind or loving. But the way that I teach that has developed through all my experience is that the key is behaving with kind, loving kindness, whether or not we're feeling that way, behaving peacefully, whether or not we're feeling agitated, behaving with confidence, even if we're feeling shy. And this is a real form of liberation. We talk about liberation in a cosmic sense, uh, the Buddhistic sense, 
enlightenment, and so on. But this is a very real form of liberation because emotions change all the time. Uh, you know, someone came up to me once and after a talk I gave and said, Dan, I feel so inspired. I said, don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> because of inspiration comes and goes. Motivation waxes and wanes. And it, a, a feeling-centered life is chaotic because our feelings are changing all the time. So when we're told to trust our feelings, I think that means trust that whispered voice from our heart not follow every emotional impulse that arises. I think most people can understand and appreciate that idea. So rather than focusing on trying to feel peaceful or feel loving or kind, if we behave that way, which is actually our, the movements we make with our arms and legs and our body, our behavior, our actions, we have more control by our will over our actions than we do what, what thoughts pop into our awareness, that random mind, that discursive mind. Um, and yes, uh, meditation is a useful tool. Um, and uh, it's a useful exercise. So it, our push-ups, for example, if we do push-ups, that exercise over time, predictably, we get stronger. And if we meditate over time, if we practice that, we start to see the nature of mind, the illusory nature of thoughts that come and go and pass. And both exercises are useful. The only difference between meditation and push-ups, well, one of the differences is we can't pretend to do push-ups. In other words, they're there, <laughs> or, the, <laughs> they're there or they're not. And whereas meditation, sometimes we sit and daydream and, and say, I'm meditating. Um, so there is usefulness in that practice, but I don't put it up on a pedestal. Uh, it is an exercise we can practice with some uh, some predictable results. And and one difference in, in the approach that I take uh, after even in my youth, when I was a young coach at Stanford University, um, when I started sitting in in zazen, zen meditation, and also learned transcendental meditation and explored both approaches, um, I I realized that meditation is not so much a way to quiet the mind, even though many have that experience when they go deep. It's really about quieting the body. And when we sit quietly and calmly, the body relaxes and the mind tends to follow. So it's we have more, more of a handle over quieting the body than sitting there trying to go, is my mind quiet yet? Is my mind quiet yet? And um, so... In fact, I, there's that story I tell when I was coaching at Stanford. I, I got. I'm going to have a, you a hold off on that story oh, yeah, in our next segment yeah. because we have to go Sounds to commercial great. break. My guest okay. is Dan Millman, and we are talking about Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, the true story of my spiritual quest. We're going to come back with Dan in just a few minutes and hear more about the professor, the guru, the warrior priest, and the sage that guided him more deeply into himself. You can find out more about Dan at PeacefulWarrior.com. We'll be right back. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. 1111 Talk Radio is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And in that partnership, they are offering 1111 Talk Radio listeners 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash 11. Spell out the word 11. Relationships take work, especially the most important one you can have in your life. And that's the relationship to yourself. A lot of us will drop anything to get to go help someone that we care about. We'll even go out of our way to treat people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? If you are seeking to be happier, if you're needing support, if you're working through some problems, issues, or challenges, then there are ways that you can invest in yourself. I personally love self-care and meditation. I understand the need for a coach, and I definitely think that therapy provides a beautiful space to be listened to. Listening is often the greatest space that lets us heal. So this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. Check them out. They offer video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. 
and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Again, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash 11. My guest today is Dan Millman. He is the author of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior and now The Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. I invite you to check out his website, which is PeacefulWarrior.com. And you may not have known, but in 1971, Oprah Winfrey had just turned 17. Her sights set on hosting a radio show. 19-year-old Marianne Williamson was hoping for something bigger. Deepak Chopra was a medical intern. Wayne Dyer was a practicing psychologist planning to write his first book, Scott Peck was a United States Army psychiatrist. A Course in Miracles didn't even exist yet, nor did EMDR. This was the time that our author, Dan Millman, was diving into his own spiritual quest. He was making the pathway that would eventually become one of the books that has touched millions of people across the world, and he would come to write Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Beyond that, he would extend his work, his books, his presentations, and his workshops into ways that have supported individuals across this world. In this long-awaited true story of his search for the good life, best-selling author Dan Millman describes his quest for meaning in the modern world. His evolution from childhood dreamer to world-class athlete catapults him over a span of two decades through mind-expanding experiences with four radically different mentors who prepare him for his calling as a down-to-earth spiritual teacher. Again, PeacefulWarrior.com is where you can find out more. And this particular book is called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Dan, when we left the last segment, you were talking about meditation and you were segueing into a story that you wanted to share with us. And I'd love for you to go ahead and finish that out. Thank you. Well, actually, I appreciate that little excerpt you read from the book to set a place in time when I was a young coach at Stanford University. And I was an outlier because, you know, yoga hadn't yet exploded uh, into the mainstream. Uh, So anyone who did yoga or meditated was still kind of fringe, even even in the late 60s, early 70s, though it was just beginning then. And um, I was I was uh, hosting a team from University of Southern California up at Stanford, and the coach uh, of the USC team uh, whispered to me before the meet. He said, "Dan, I heard a rumor that you have your athletes meditate before a competition." And this to him, this was very strange. And I told him, I said, "No, of course I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I have them meditate during the competition." And he didn't really get that. Maybe you do. Um, <laughs> that That is, I began to appreciate uh, training uh, in gymnastics or training in sports or training with a music, playing a musical instrument or painting uh, or doing any other art is a form of absorption in the here and now, what we call the zone or flow. Um, so even then, I was beginning actual practice of internal work under the guise of a sport. Or performance art in my case. So gymnastics was uh, a form of dynamic meditation, uh, training and living in the present, because you can't think about the future or past when you're flying around the bars. You are immersed in the present moment. And by the way, that brings up a quick 
very quick story about the the old uh, mentor I referred to as Socrates in my first book. And and the story is that that uh, I was in the gym recovering from a, a shattered leg and coming back into shape. And I was swinging around the high bar and I did a dismount, which was like a full twisting double somersault. And I stuck my landing, which most people know is a good thing in gymnastics. And I went, yes. And then I figured that was a good place to quit. So I ripped off my sweatshirt, threw it in my workout bag and Sock and I were walking down the, the hallway afterward. And he turned to me and said, you know, Dan, that, that last move you did was really sloppy. And I went, what are you talking about, Sock? That was the best dismount I did in weeks. He said, oh, I'm not talking about your dismount on the bars. I'm talking about the way you took off your sweatshirt and put it in your bag. And he was reminding me that I was treating one moment as special and the other as ordinary. And again, he said, Dan, there are no ordinary moments. So the challenge for me was taking what I learned in through my sport in focus and living in the moment uh, into everyday life. And again, as I emphasize, one doesn't have to be a gymnast or martial artist, uh, but through any kind of practice, we come to realize that how we do anything is how we do everything. Our approach is the same. The Japanese say how we serve tea is how we live. So that's, again, the emphasis that it wasn't like Dan became a jock, and then he went from there suddenly to teach spiritual uh, teachings. That was the beginning of my own path, uh, and other people have their own entryway into uh, a more spirited life, let's say. I love that. It's a, a powerful sharing to say, let's not even bring hierarchy to our lives. Let's not even bring hierarchy to the actions, the intentions, the experiences of our lives, because each one is specifically special. Within that story, uh, you mentioned shattering your leg, and that was a, a particular poignant piece for me in your your current book, where you talk about that experience, specifically where you talk about feeling invisible, uh, there but not yet there. And with many of your childhood experiences, although ours may be different, I think there are common themes that we all experience as children. And whether it was through your bullying or whether it was through the feeling of invisibility during a time, uh, those things impact us as we move forward and kind of set the trajectory and the path of our lives in moving in a certain direction, like you said, for our spiritual experiences. When individuals are in a transition or going through a trauma or a huge life change, there is that moment where we aren't who we were and we're not yet who we're becoming. And that can be that moment of invisibility. Can you talk a little bit about the transition moments of your lives, whether that was between experiences or whether that was between one of the four mentors where where you realize that you're changing, you're transforming, but yet you can't go back and you're not quite forward. What do we do in that liminal space? Oh, what a good question, because I think many listeners will relate to that when we're just in that in-between, the uncertain space. You know, Alan Watts wrote a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity that addresses, I think, that as well. Um, And yes, I did have uh, some extreme, humbling, uh, not just incidents in my life, but periods in which I just didn't know. 
and learning to accept that. Uh, well, l- let me again answer that with, with a brief story. Uh, uh, jumping years later, when I was uh, when I turned sixty years old, which was ooh, sixteen years ago. <laughs> um, I, I decided I wanted to learn to ride a unicycle. A friend of mine loaned me his unicycle, said, go in the tennis court early in the morning, Stan. It's good, solid ground, it's level, and you can get a death grip on the chain link fence. And it was really humbling. Um, anybody who's ever tried or thought about riding a unicycle, it, it's just extremely difficult at first. Um, and so I, every morning I went out, got up on it, and zip, went out from under me. Got up on it, zip, went out from under me. But I practiced for about 40 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, every morning, kept coming back. And um, I'm going to make the story short. It took three weeks of struggle until I was riding figure eights on the unicycle around the tennis court. And I learned two things from that experience at 60, which I'd learned earlier, but it was a refreshment, uh, you know, from my early gymnastics training as a beginner. We're all beginners in something. So anyway, I learned two things. I learned that everything is difficult until it becomes easy. And the second, more important thing, and that addresses your question, which is there were days where everything fell apart. I didn't know what I was doing. I was physically confused, mentally confused. I seemed to be worse than I was three days before. And I realized that on those so-called bad days, those crisis days, the next day, I usually made a breakthrough and a jump in learning. And I saw that in my life, in my relationships. If we had a crisis period, and but we worked through it and kept persisting, there usually was a breakthrough to deeper levels of intimacy. So that was that really pointed out this these phases uh, we can go through, and that I went through. Um, Yes, I, you know, as depicted in the, my first book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, I did shatter my leg in about 30 to 40 pieces, my right femur, my thigh bone, in a motorcycle crash. Um, and uh, it was also shown graphically in the, in the movie version based on the book with Nick Nolte in 2006. The movie came out uh, from the book. Um, and that, that shook me up. I started asking, asking bigger questions about life. Talk about a disruption. Um, my life was dislocated. Uh, I trained for 10 years toward the Olympics, and it looked like that was done. Um, the doctor said, you might walk again uh, uh, okay in, in six months or so. Um, but I didn't know. I just, it was complete uncertainty. I said, let's see what happens. I didn't try to do, in my own life, I didn't do affirmations. I didn't uh, try to work with my expectations or beliefs. I simply said, I'm going to work toward it. I'll work as hard as I can over time and see what happens. And that's really how I've approached my life, even in those dark and speckled forests, winding along passionate paths uh, from the epigraph of the new book. Um, that's each, where I, I was just stumbling toward the light. And, and each of these ways, each of these steps brought you to a teacher. It brought you to someone that would give you something for a moment, but yet you also knew when it was time to go, which was one thing that I really appreciated about the modeling through this book is that we we wind our way through spirituality and we will pick up from different places what we need. And can you talk a little bit about how you trusted 
who it was that you were connecting to and what they were there to give you at the time. How did you know that those were your specific guides at that time? Yes. And of course, I want to acknowledge we've all had role models, mentors in our lives, teachers of those two or three teachers we remember from school way back who demanded the best of us, who inspired us. Um, We've all had teachers. And it's not as if I'm saying my teachers were the best. You know, people get into that in the martial arts. I have the best uh, sensei, the best uh, Roshi, the best guru, and so on. But, you know, a fundamental tenet of the way that I teach now is that there is no best book, no best teacher or path or religion or diet or system of exercise or form of meditation. There is only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. So where I come from is a complete respect for each individual's process. But I have, and, and by the way, the re, I believe that I was exposed to these four teachers because of one particular shift in my life. And what that was, that shift was I was so much into self-improvement when I was young. I took uh, memory courses and speed reading and uh, 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 the Trachtenberg system of speed mathematics and word power made easy. And I learned sleight of hand and acrobatics and juggling and fencing and all sorts of skills. I loved learning and improving myself. Then one day, I hit a point where I went, you know, no matter how much I improve myself, there's nothing wrong with self-improvement. The better we are, the better it is for the world. But I realized I could only one person benefit. But if I could somehow impact the lives of other people and help improve their lives, that's when I found my calling as a teacher. Um, not everybody's called to teach, and that's fine. But I was. And because of that commitment to share whatever I learned with others, and again, I didn't know what form that would take yet. I hadn't written any books. I was teaching gymnastics still. But um, because of that commitment to share, I think it opened me up to really look for how I could prepare myself. Again, for what I did not yet know. And that's when I stumbled upon, uh, and I give the circumstances, of course, in in the book, um, on the professor who had a technological approach, uh, doing specific inner work and very sophisticated exercises. I began with a 40-day training, 10 hours a day for 40 days, and later an advanced training and more work after that. So this was a a tremendous preparation and foundation. And I did 30 or 40 different kinds of meditations for different purposes, deep breathing work and kundalini-type work. And uh, he he had gathered in his own life, uh, his name was Oscar Ichazo, and the school was the Arika School. And he gathered a global heritage, not just Hindu or Chinese or one or another culture, but from all of them, the best human exercises for awakening. Uh, Let's go into more of that in our final segment, Dan, right after this commercial break. Dan writes in his book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, I now understand that every human being is on a spiritual quest, but not all of us are aware of it. Who among us does not seek fulfillment, meaning, and an understanding of our place in the universe? The seeds of my own quest, sown in childhood, had by now broken through the soil into the sunlight of conscious awareness, but were not quite ready to bear fruit. At times rollicking, at times poignant, Dan's reflections will delight millions of devoted fans and inspire a new generation of readers, because as he writes, this story is not... The story is mine, but the way belongs to all of us. 
Dan Millman teaches the Peaceful Warrior's Way in the United States and around the world, author of 18 books published in 29 languages. He is a former world champion athlete, a university coach, martial arts instructor, and college professor. His bestseller, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a feature film starring Nick Nolte, and he has now released Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Find out more at PeacefulWarrior.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Dan Millman. He is the author of Way of the Peaceful Warrior and now his new memoir, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. Peter Pan and Superman stood out to Dan Millman during early childhood. He says, in retrospect, Peter must have embodied eternal boyhood and freedom, while Superman represented power and human potential and both could fly. In search of altitude, he climbed trees, swung on ropes, and leaped off low rooftops with makeshift parachutes, yearning to rise above the everyday world. Early on, he had a spiritual quest. 
it would only deepen. You can find out more by going to his website, peacefulwarrior.com. You'll find out about everything he does there. You'll find out about his books, his workshops, his teachings, and his brand new book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Before we get back into your sharing of the professor, I'd like to touch on uh, the use of psychedelics before you met these four individuals that would then move you forward on the path. And the reason I want to touch on it is because plant medicine and psychedelics have come back into the forefront now, particularly in supporting trauma and supporting uh, individuals that are having uh, deep emotional issues, and also for opening up greater states of consciousness. Can you talk a little bit about uh, moving into that uh, LSD psychic, uh, LSD psychedelic experience and how that further opened you to your own spiritual quest and path? Sure. Um, during that time, I felt like a ghost. I felt invisible, as you referred to, when I was on crutches, asking people's help uh, for the first time uh, in that way. Um, I started, again, becoming more reflective as a young man, uh, rather than that bulletproof attitude many people in their 20-somethings have. And I decided I'd like to see what's inside. What is there? Uh, and I was at Berkeley in, in the 60s. And so I asked a friend on the gymnastics team uh, who was hooked up with some people who knew people um, who could get some Owsley, you know, window pane type um, uh, LSD. And I, I, I asked him about that. And he said, Dan, have you ever been intoxicated? And I went, no. He said, have you ever smoked any weed? And I went, no. I was a pretty straight arrow young man. And he said, you know, you better walk before you run. And he, and so I, I tried, you know, grass, I tried marijuana and, and had the munchies and experienced music in a different way for the first time. But I never really instinctively took to it as a recreational activity. To me, it always felt sacred. Um, so I just went for the gusto and I read books, preparation, the psychedelic experience and so on. So I was in a safe setting. Uh, set and setting are very important for anybody who goes on a psychedelic journey. And another word for psychedelics are entheogens, which means a way of connecting to spirit. And that was my approach. And the first trip I took, and I only took two in my life, um, was the classic uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, re Death and Rebirth. Um, and it was a profound preview of coming attractions before I met any of these mentors. Um, and I saw what was possible, and I wanted to share that with other people. But not, I didn't become a, um, a proselytizer of, of psychedelics by any means. Um, it was more of a private experience. And I only took it once more several years later, and it was kind of a waste of my time, personally. Other people have done uh, over a series of – under the you know, uh, uh, supervision of a, psych, uh, a psychologist or a counselor, uh, they, they've – made use of various substances, ayahuasca and, and other, other psychedelic, psychotropic substances, but as a means of a, a personal exploration uh, responsibly, which I did. And I, I haven't actually personally used any drugs, uh, non-prescription drugs, for probably uh, 50 years. Um, it was a, a period I went through, but it was useful, very, very useful for me at the time. 
I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that share specifically because of your use of the word sacred, and also your use of temperance in terms of how you utilize that. I think when things come back into so-called fashion, all of a sudden they can become entertainment, they can become escape mechanisms, they can be misused or overused. And so to hear uh, from someone who is a practical spiritual teacher uh, and one that uses everyday life in the most powerful ways, I think that becomes such an important modeling and teaching for particularly our younger people that are finding exploration in many different ways to try to cope with their anxieties, depressions, fears, uh, or just plain life as it comes their way. So once you move through that experience, you were led to these four teachers, and and each one of them gave you something that you were able to walk away from with uh, both something that was wisdom and also something that was a learning in terms of perhaps uh, how not to be or why that relationship was now complete in terms of your learning. Uh, we've got about five minutes left on the show, so I'd love to, for you to get in as much as you can and how you want, and I'm going to let you go with, with uh, sharing <laughs> okay. that whole story. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Uh, just a brief summary. Um, yes, even though we all live in the eternal present, uh, in the conventional world, time is finite. We have only so much time together. So let me just say that the professor's work was based on inner work, inner exercises, and I got better at doing inner work. But at the same time, I was going through my first marriage. My wife and I were married young, and I was and I realized I was still self-absorbed. I was still having difficulties, and and hadn't yet matured in my relationship. Um, and so all this inner work didn't necessarily bleed into everyday life. Um, I hadn't really learned how to apply that. So. Eventually, I did move on and met the guru who used an entirely different approach. There were no techniques. He said, I'd rather beat you with a stick than tell you to meditate your way to enlightenment, for example. He had a radically different approach. We sat with him in what was called satsang from the the Hindu terminology, and he transmitted the divine reality. And his very presence reminded us of life's bigger picture, the transcendent. So that was a very, and I was with uh, studying with him as a student living in his community households um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, following a way of life moment to moment, morning till night, um, with you know a healthful approach to, to life and so on. And within that, and that was a, an experience that lasted almost eight years. Uh, and for various reasons, I moved on. Uh, as we should all feel free to do if something is no longer serving us in the same way. Um, I'm grateful for all my teachers. And by the way, I wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior after my time with the professor and the guru. Um, and, And then I moved on and found the warrior priest through various circumstances that I go into, of course, in more detail. Um, And he was more of a dramatic, exciting, empowering teacher. He called himself a cheerleader to the soul. And that's what I've uh, strove to do ever since. Um, And and I carry all these people within me. Um, And it's not that I just parrot their words. In fact, I really rarely do. They opened doors of access for me to form my own way, my own path and teaching uh, in in terms that most people can relate to. And that's what I strove to do. But I take a little bit of their energy and spirit with me um, as role models and he was just an exciting, dramatic uh, teacher, an empowering teacher. 
and I know you do empowerment radio, so that was so appropriate. Um, he really prepared me for my calling. I started teaching publicly after his influence. Uh, he and I traveled together. We became friends and colleagues, but it was a form of apprenticeship as well. So, and eventually, I, you know, I, I'd had, I said, I'm, that's it for teachers. I've had the, some heavy hitters. I don't need any more teachers, I thought. But then I discovered the sage through <laughs> funny circumstances. And he brought me back to earth. After being up in the sky of mind and metaphysical ideas, he brought me back to earth moment to moment, focused on what needs doing now? What do I need to do in line with my purpose? And so the sage was actually a an anthropological psychologist who happened to go to graduate school to get his PhD along with uh, his classmate, Carlos Castaneda. <laughs> and he was a very grounded, uh, a very rigorous type teacher. And I trained with him and we are still friends and colleagues. We email each other now and then. Um, and I was able to uh, take a much more realistic approach rather than just metaphysical into the uh, how to function wisely and well. And, you know, functioning may not sound too spiritual, but those of us who function and get things done are more likely to have a, sen a default sense of fulfillment and, and peace than those who don't get things done. So a part of his teaching was really how to function no matter what we're feeling, whether our thoughts are positive or not. Uh, whatever feelings are passing through us, we can still get things done and function well in life. But also there was a component that reminds us of our indebtedness to others and a deep sense of gratitude that I feel for all of my mentors. Uh, when I went on to found this approach to living, quite organic in my case, that developed called the Peaceful Warriors Way for men and women all over the world. I love that you used the word organic and that you used the word purpose in, in that discourse. I think that uh, most people, they, they go through their lives truly desiring to live out their purpose and to find that path. And oftentimes our egos and our wills will push us in one direction uh, that might or might not be the direction that we're supposed to go. When you think about the word purpose and you think about your life, was this winding road something that you deeply felt in your spirit early on? Or is it something that appeared on your path as you made the path? I think it appeared over time and it, it takes time. And I, you know, I offer this advice to, to, to uh, many of my students is to stop comparing ourselves to other people. When we compare ourselves to someone else, we're going to feel superior or inferior. It's a disrespect for our own process. So I remind people, as the warrior priest once reminded me, I'm not here for you to trust me. I'm here to help you trust yourself. And we need to trust our path to know that whatever it may feel like, we cannot lose our way. Wherever we step, the path appears. And we learn from that and move on through our life, just as I did. Um, the, the, my time with the guru was not really a time of self-trust and personal empowerment. But the warrior priest reawakened me to trust my own, my own path. And uh, it doesn't mean every intuitive decision I make will be perfect. Sometimes trees fall in my path, maybe. But that may be perfect part of the process of growing. I view daily life as a form of spiritual weight training. If we don't lift any weights, we don't get any stronger. What do you most want people to take away from your successes and your mistakes, Dan? And would you call them well, mistakes? Yeah. 
Um, well, conventionally speaking, sure, we all make mistakes. We, we make decisions. We said, hmm, maybe I could have done that a little differently. But then we learn from them. So uh, transcendentally speaking, no, no mistakes, only lessons. Uh, we can't fail if we've learned a lesson. Uh, and, and that's it's life is all about that daily life is a, a you know earth is a school for souls a divine school and daily life is our classroom and uh even daily life itself well let me tell you a quick story uh, a man came to me uh, after i gave a talk um and, and, or after he read way of the peaceful warrior he said dan i'm really inspired now to to practice spirituality but but i have a wife and three children and a full-time job and he came to understand that his wife his children, his work, were his primary spiritual practices. They demand more and develop us more than sitting in a cave and meditating. I know oh, because that's I've so powerful. Yes, that's so powerful. Over the course of two decades, Dan was guided by four radically different mentors, the professor, a scientist mystic, the guru, a charismatic spiritual master, the warrior priest, a rescuer of lost souls, and the sage, a servant of reality. Each of them generated mind-expanding experiences that prepared Dan for his calling as a down-to-earth spiritual teacher. I urge you to pick up his latest book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. You'll be happy that you did. It is soul-nourishing and heart-filling. Go to his website, PeacefulWarrior.com, to find out more about him. Dan Millman, thank you for being again on 1111 Talk Radio. Until next week, I am Simran, in love of love, love with love and as love. Be love, be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, You are not on the journey. You are the journey.